Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the audio edition of the Weekly Roundup, where we examine some of the key developments and headlines pertaining to the asset and wealth management industry across Singapore, Hong Kong, and mainland China. This episode, we are looking at developments across the week of May 10 through May 14. So let's dive in. Starting off with a look across Asia-Pacific. Following earlier statements from asset and wealth managers in APAC as to the drivers of ESG investment across the region, Fund Selector Asia reports that Natixis Investment Management, the asset management arm of the French bank, believes that the surge in ESG investing in Asia was sparked by the coronavirus, though that there are, quote, fundamental differences, end quote, between the trajectory of ESG investments when compared to Europe. A key difference cited is the lack of trade-off between value and values for Asian investors, resulting in reported faster adoption rates and greater awareness of performance potential, though, as covered in an earlier episode, the outperformance of ESG has had some doubt cast upon it. The strong interest of private banks in ESG funds was also cited as a catalyst for the rapid flows into ESG products across APAC by their clients. This is also being reflected in the increased adoption of ESG principles among alternative asset managers, driven by client demand and regulatory initiatives as highlighted by CityWire Asia, which reports that the increased adoption of ESG principles across governments, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, family offices, and private pension funds through traditional clients of asset managers, has led to increased incorporation of these principles into the investment process of said asset managers. Japan's government pension investment fund was cited as a specific example of this, as it is a prominent advocate of ESG investing and has incorporated ESG principles into the investment process for its 1.58 trillion US dollar portfolio. GPIF has also signaled its intention to invest up to 5% of its portfolio into alternative investment strategies in the coming years. So there is substantial incentive for alternative asset managers to incorporate and promote their ESG investment credentials. Despite this, only 15% of total assets invested by Asia-backed private capital funds were managed under an official ESG framework, according to a report from Prequin, a data provider. This stands in contrast to Europe, where 63% of total assets were invested under an official ESG framework, and North America, where 37% were, though it is expected that Asia's share will accelerate in the coming years. Despite this expected growth, Asia is hampered by a lack of standardized ESG metrics, something that has been explored in previous episodes, which affects the quality and use of ESG data among asset and wealth managers. Whether ESG investments continue to surge across APAC despite a lack of common standards, or whether the introduction of common standards further boosts ESG investment remains to be seen. Moving on. Fund Selector Asia reports that the Philippines will join the ASEAN CIS Fund Passporting Scheme, 
with the relevant regulators of Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand, signing a supplemental Memorandum of Understanding to admit the Philippine SEC to the framework. ASEAN CIS was launched in 2014 as an ASEAN fund passporting initiative, enabling asset managers to sell their funds in markets that the products were not domiciled in. The scheme has struggled to gain momentum since launch and only features a handful of funds across the signatory markets. Despite this, the entry of the Philippines into the scheme was seen as a positive step in furthering regional capital market connectivity across the region. Whether or not this leads to an invigoration of the ASEAN CIS scheme remains to be seen. Next up, recent noises by the OECD, a group of mostly rich nations, around the introduction of a global minimum corporate tax rate could see wealth management centers like Singapore and Hong Kong benefit due to there being, quote, jurisdictions with substance, end quote, which would enable them to maintain a lower corporate tax rate, as reported by Asian Private Banker. The impact of the global minimum tax on high net worth individuals would likely not impact most family offices due to the threshold of 750 million euros per year, though it is possible this limit will move before the tax rate is implemented and countries may apply the minimum rate across a broader base. Adrian Sham, a tax partner at Grant Thornton, a global network of accounting firms, noted that tax rates in jurisdictions which promoted the implementation of a global minimum tax rate could rise, and that offshore hubs may have an incentive to maintain their low rates. Mr. Sham also noted that were there an individual holding the asset holding structures, establishing those in an offshore hub, then the global minimum tax rates should not affect them. Moving on to Singapore. DBS Private Bank, the private banking arm of the Singaporean bank, has introduced a trust solution for cryptocurrencies, as reported by CityWire Asia. This solution enables private banking clients to manage their digital assets and can be used to integrate the assets into wealth succession plans. This follows the digital exchange DBS launched in December 2020 and which has reached assets under custody of 80 million Singapore dollars across 120 clients, as covered in an earlier episode. DBS is reportedly seeing an increase in clients with an interest in crypto and other digital assets, and expects this to continue, quote, as cryptocurrencies turn more mainstream, end quote. The solution follows developments in Hong Kong, where private banks are increasingly receptive to their clients holding cryptocurrencies and other digital assets in their accounts. And with several crypto asset funds being launched recently, as reported in previous episodes, along with other wealth managers entering and expanding their operations in this space. Next up, the Business Times Singapore reports that the life insurance industry in the city-state recorded new premium growth of 29% year-on-year for the quarter ended 31 March 2021. The life insurance industry reported new business premiums of 1.25 billion Singapore dollars, largely attributed to a surge in policies purchased online as a result of digitalizing processes. New policies issued online 
grew from 4,662 a year prior to 88,565. Weighted premiums for single premium products also grew substantially, rising to 541.6 million Singapore dollars, up from 293.4 million Singapore dollars the year prior. Retirement policies dipped by 2% in terms of the number of policies compared to the previous period last year, totaling 97.8 million Singapore dollars in weighted premiums over the first quarter of 2021. As covered in previous episodes, several life insurers in Singapore have launched products targeted at high net worth individuals, and these may also have contributed to the growth in new premiums. Moving up to Hong Kong, Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission has announced a scheme to provide subsidies to qualifying open-ended fund companies and real estate investment trusts to establish themselves in the fragrant harbour. The scheme covers eligible expenses incurred in relation to the incorporation or redomiciliation of an open-ended fund company or the listing of a REIT and would be paid to service providers based in Hong Kong. As per a press release from the SFC, the scheme will run from 10 May 2021 to 9 May 2024. Grants for open-ended fund companies will cover up to 70% of eligible expenses and be subject to a limit of 1 million Hong Kong dollars. Eligible expenses are those paid to Hong Kong-based service providers in relation to the incorporation of the OFC or the redomiciliation of the non-Hong Kong fund corporation in Hong Kong as an OFC. Applicants must be investment managers who have successfully incorporated an open-ended fund company or redomiciled a non-Hong Kong fund company in Hong Kong as an OFC on or after 10 May 2021. For REITs, the grants will cover up to 70% of eligible expenses and be subject to a limit of 8 million Hong Kong dollars. Eligible expenses are those paid to Hong Kong-based service providers in relation to the listing of the REIT. REIT applicants must be SFC-authorized REITs listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange on or after 10 May 2021 with a minimum market capitalization of 1.5 billion Hong Kong dollars or foreign currency equivalent at the time of listing. The catalyst for the grant scheme goes back to the 2021-22 budget, where Hong Kong's financial secretary, Mr. Paul Chan, proposed it as, at the time, Hong Kong only had 11 OFCs established in the territory despite the fund structure launching back in 2018. This stands in contrast to Singapore's variable capital company framework, a similar fund structure, which has over 200 funds incepted since it became operational at the beginning of 2021. Ignites Asia reports that this is the first time the SFC has issued a grant of this nature applicable to both public and private funds. It remains to be seen whether the new grant along with the development of the Greater Bay Area Wealth Management Connect program and other mutual recognition of fund agreements, will entice new funds to establish themselves in Hong Kong or for existing funds to redomicile themselves to the fragrant harbour. Next up, Akumon, a robo-advisor, has launched a smart Bitcoin ETF product targeting retail investors, something hailed as the first of its kind in APAC as reported by Ignites Asia. 
the new product, Smart Global X, integrates the Smart Global algorithms of Acrimon with a professionally managed Bitcoin ETF designed to meet increased retail demand for securitized cryptocurrency assets. The product was launched on 29 April 2021 and is limited to investors with growth and aggressive risk types with $1,000 in minimum investment. The CEO and co-founder of Akumon, Mr. Kevin Lee, stated that the rise of cryptocurrencies as an asset class could not be ignored in the face of increased interest from younger investors. The actual allocation to Bitcoin will be between 2-4%, to with the balance allocated to stocks, bonds, and alternative assets in order to provide balance across different market conditions. The move by Akumon follows other cryptocurrency strategies being rolled out in Hong Kong, as covered in previous episodes. Next up, legislation providing tax breaks to private equity funds will come into effect in Hong Kong, though with retroactive effect dating back to April 2020, as reported by Denton's, a law firm. The legislative amendments waive the profit and salaries tax on the carried interest distributions of eligible private equity funds and are part of a wider effort to increase the attractiveness of Hong Kong as a centre of private equity funds, such as the launch of the limited partnership regime started in Hong Kong in August 2020. Hong Kong's Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, Mr. Christopher Hui, stated, quote, The tax concession regime for carried interest would attract more private equity funds to operate and be managed in Hong Kong, end quote with the expectation that investment management and related activities would be boosted. The impact of these tax changes, along with the other initiatives introduced to boost Hong Kong's competitiveness as a private equity fund centre, will no doubt be watched with avid interest by the industry and other financial centres alike. Moving on, Asian private banker reports that Citibank, a US bank, will add 1,100 professionals to its Hong Kong Wealth franchise over the next five years, including 550 new relationship managers and private bankers as part of its drive to grow client AUM to 460 billion US dollars by 2025 from its current level of 310 billion US dollars under its Win in Wealth campaign. Angel Ng, City's CEO for Hong Kong and Macau, stated that the bank was well-placed to seize on the opportunities presented by the Greater Bay Area and Wealth Management Connect, and reiterated that, quote, Hong Kong will play a leading role in cities' ambitions to grow our global wealth business via city global wealth, end quote, referring to the merging of cities' private banking and consumer wealth business back in January 2021. To date, City has hired 75 relationship managers and private bankers in Hong Kong, and in the first quarter of 2021, added over 5 billion US dollars in net new money across Asia Pacific. Numerous other wealth managers have made statements around the number of new hires and investments they intend to make in Hong Kong and the Greater Bay Area to seize on the opportunities presented by the development of the GBA and the Wealth Management Connect program. Moving on to China, Reuters, citing data from the Asset Management Association of China, reports that Ant Group was China's largest distributor of non-money market funds over the first quarter of 2021, 
despite the traditional dominance of banks and the regulatory crackdown that has been unleashed in recent times against Ant Group. Outstanding non-money market fund sales by Ant Group amounted to 890.1 billion RMB, with China Merchants Bank coming in second with 707.9 billion RMB in non-money market fund sales over the quarter. ICBC and Bank of China ranked third and fourth respectively, and internet fund market Tiantian rounded out the top five, with the next 10 places going to banks. The taking of first place by Ant Financial was seen by some in the industry as a reflection on the strength of tech companies in China, along with the rapidly growing presence of independent financial advisors, which sell funds via mobile and internet platforms, bypassing the traditional banks as fund distributors. The latest data from AMAC showed that IFAs held an 11% market share as of 2019, up from 2% in 2015. Others noted that Ant's rankings could reflect the shift away from equities to fixed income products, which are readily available on the Alipay app. Whether Ant or other tech platforms are able to maintain their recent success in fund distribution, or whether they are supplanted by banks re-establishing their dominance or another form of distribution channel remains to be seen. Moving on, Bloomberg reports that Vanguard, a US asset management firm, and Ant Financial, the financial services arm of Ant Group, are in talks to increase the joint registered capital of their investment advisory joint venture to 150 million RMB, up from its current level of 50 million RMB. In a statement, Vanguard stated that they believed in, quote, the power of financial advice to help investors achieve better investment outcomes, and are committed to our joint venture with Ant Group and our mutual goal to bring advice to millions of Chinese investors, end quote, with Ant Financial reportedly declining to give a statement. The alleged move follows Vanguard withdrawing its application for a public mutual fund license earlier this year. The joint venture, named Bangnito, recorded nearly 1 million users as of February 2021, with assets under management reaching 8.9 billion RMB at this time. China's investment advisory market is forecast to reach 730 billion RMB by 2022, and numerous firms are in the process of applying for a license to operate in this space, as covered in previous episodes. One such entrant will be China Merchants Bank. On this note, China Merchants Bank has announced a new online fund platform that will feature nearly 40 asset management firms, along with sales portals, live streaming, and video content, as reported by China Fund News. This follows their 2020 annual report, in which China Merchants Bank outlined their proposal to construct a large wealth management value chain over the next five years. China Merchants Bank has drawn some of China's largest public fund managers to its platform, with eFund and Zhongou specifically named, along with the wealth management arms of China Construction Bank and Bank of Communications. At time of recording, the asset and wealth management partners on the platform had released over 1,000 pieces of content and attracted more than 10 million views from the users of the platform. With increasing numbers of digital fund platforms entering the market, and with Chinese authorities imposing their will on the tech industry, the ramifications of these trends will be interesting to see bear out on the fund distribution landscape. Next up, Fund Selector Asia reports that the wealth management joint venture between BlackRock, China Construction Bank, and Tamasek, 
a US asset manager, Chinese state-owned bank, and Singaporean sovereign wealth fund respectively, has been approved by Chinese regulators, with the approval coming nearly nine months after the application was submitted. BlackRock will own 50.1% of the venture, with China Construction Bank Wealth Management, the wholly owned wealth management subsidiary of China Construction Bank, and Tamasek owning 40% and 9.9% respectively. A statement by BlackRock highlighted the strengths the joint venture partners would bring, with BlackRock and Tamasek bringing expertise in investment and risk management, and China Construction Bank providing a substantial client base and distribution network across China. Moving on, China's total public fund assets fell by more than 220 billion RMB over the first quarter of 2021, the first time in eight consecutive months, despite not suffering from net redemptions from investors over the month, data from AMAC shows. Public fund AUM fell by over 1% from its high of 21.78 trillion RMB the month prior, an all-time high, and ended a run in which the industry had grown by 4.88 trillion RMB from June 2020. Mixed funds, which can invest a sizable amount in equities, led the decline, falling by over 205 billion RMB, whilst equities funds declined by nearly 80 billion RMB, which is somewhat fitting as it was flows into and the growth of equities, which largely propelled the increase in public fund assets under management. In contrast, money market funds and fixed income products increased their AUM by over 28 billion RMB and 8 billion RMB respectively. This net reduction in assets under management came as overall units and public funds increased over the period, indicating that net share subscriptions grew in the face of falling AUM, though this increase was the smallest seen in seven months. Next up, a recent survey from HSBC, a British bank with historic ties to Greater China, has found that over 80% of respondents were interested in the Greater Bay Area's Wealth Management Connect program, as reported by the South China Morning Post. The survey was undertaken over the fourth quarter of 2020 and surveyed 1,606 Chinese citizens living in the nine mainland cities of the Greater Bay Area, covering those who currently own or intended to invest in financial products in Hong Kong over the next 12 months. Specifically, the findings show that 82% of respondents intended to invest in Hong Kong via the Wealth Management Connect, with 38% of those already invested in Hong Kong preferring funds and 37% preferring stocks. 70% of respondents planned to increase their asset allocation towards Hong Kong, 67% of respondents saw wealth accumulation as a key investment objective, and 65% of respondents planned to diversify their investments in Hong Kong. In response to the survey, HSBC's head of Greater Bay Area, Mr. Daniel Chan, stated that, quote, The findings reveal that Greater Bay Area southbound investors have strong interest to participate in the Wealth Management Connect, end quote. Findings which are likely to be well received by HSBC and other wealth managers who have announced investment and hiring plans for the region. The survey also follows the announcement last week regarding the quota level to be issued to mainland investors and the permissible products for them to invest in across the Greater Bay Area Wealth Management Connect program, as covered in an earlier episode. Finally, 
Ignites Asia reports that the Shanghai Stock Exchange and Korea Exchange have signed a Memorandum of Understanding which will establish a cross-border exchange-traded fund link, allowing ETF providers in one market to sell their product directly to investors in the other. The signing of the MOU follows the development of ETF sectors in each market, with South Korean ETF assets increasing over 40% in the 12 months prior to 37.41 billion US dollars, according to data from Morningstar, a data service provider. In China, ETF assets have increased by over 33% in the 12 months to 31 March 2021 to 126.01 billion US dollars, and this amount looks set to increase further in coming months, following the approval of seven ETFs designed to track the Hang Seng Tech Index, along with other ETF launches though the seven ETFs met with mixed reception during their IPO periods. Though currently lacking in detail, the two exchanges will jointly explore the development of indices, the facilitation of cross-border investment, and cooperation vis-a-vis -vis the bond market. The signing of the MOU follows the establishment of an ETF connect between China and Japan, with the initial eight ETFs, four Chinese and four Japanese, raising a combined 1.5 billion RMB during their IPOs, though four of the initial ETFs have suffered significant asset outflows. In response to this, the Japanese exchange group allowed two additional ETFs to be included in the scheme, with two more Chinese ETFs to be launched, and the exchanges involved said they would explore further cooperation in REITs, sustainable finance, and technology industries. Further, the ETF cross-listing master feeder framework between Hong Kong and Shenzhen was established in August 2020, under which feeder funds on each exchange raise funds and invest at least 90% into ETFs listed in the other market. Given that South Korean investors have ample avenues to invest in Chinese securities, the reception of investors to the ETF Connect, once further details are released, will be interesting to see. So, that is it for the week of May 10 through May 14. From our perspective, the grants the SFC have unveiled, focusing on the open-ended fund companies and the REIT schemes, will be quite interesting to see, especially as to the take-up of these grants among the industry. In China, seeing that Ant Financial had become the largest public fund distributor is certainly validation of the trends that we've seen over the last few years, as to the increased focus on these digital distribution platforms. Though obviously, given that a substantial number of the top 15 distributors were still banks, means that the dominance that that segment has on the fund management industry will still likely remain, even though it's likely that a lot of the sales would have come through the bank's digital distribution platforms. As there are scores of applicants for the new investment advisory licenses, a lot of which will likely rely on technology and tech platforms to distribute products. Once a lot of these firms come to market, it will be interesting to see what effect they have on this distribution landscape. And finally, the high interest in the Wealth Management Connect program from mainland Chinese investors residing in the Greater Bay Area will hopefully give some comfort to the foreign asset and wealth managers looking to have products based mm -hmm. in Hong Kong and available to those investors. Though as covered in previous episodes, the dominance of the mainland Chinese banks, both in the Chinese part of the Greater Bay Area and their strong ties in Hong Kong themselves, 
might make that distribution landscape a little bit lopsided, though time will tell. However, those are just our thoughts. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. If you enjoyed this episode, do give us a like, share, and subscribe for future content. If you didn't enjoy this episode, thank you very much for sticking around this long, and do let us know what topics and developments you think we should have covered in the comments. From Three Lions AWM Advisory, thank you for tuning in. We hope you stop by next time. Thank you.